0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today's episode is unique. I'm talking to Max Svedevat. Max is actually an ambassador for us over at Athletic Brewing, which is my day job, non-alcoholic craft beer. And he has this cool story of, of gravel riding a, uh, the, the Camino de Santiago Trail in Spain. And that's often, you know, a, a hiking or walking trail that a lot of people aspire to do a bucket list item. I know I have another friend that's out there right now walking it. However, the the spiritual nature of the Camino overtook the physical aspects uh, Max was telling us and changed the course of the whole ride and perhaps Max's outlook on life itself, as well as work and adventure and finding balance. So we're going to hear about how he got into this. COVID was a big uh, trigger to to start being healthier and getting active with his son and it was just a really cool story, and it's great to connect with someone that I've I've known through the, uh, the ambassador community over athletic brewing. So, Max, thanks so much for being on the show. It's exciting to tell your story, and uh, congrats on, you know, balancing a normal life and still getting out there to do these adventures. And it sounds like, and what he's going to tell us is, it's not over yet. So, if you think that you can't have adventure uh, because you're not in your early 20s or you're not retired, you know, you have that... ...era of work in your life that's most of our life. Well, this show, one of the reasons we do this show is to break that stigma and break that misconception because we talk to a lot of people who have a normal life and... Get these done in the windows that they can, and it's just as rewarding of an adventure as that gap year in your 20s. You know, I, I'm in that stage of life myself. I've got two little kids, a business, work for a startup. It's, it, life is busy and a lot of interest, and I feel like I'm in more adventurous now than I've ever been. So it really is a mindset, and it really is taking advantage in, of those times you do have and looking for those windows of opportunity and maximizing them. Uh, no pun intended, with Max's name. So, all right, let's go ahead and jump in. Hey, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, Today, today's a unique episode. I've known Max through email and through the ambassador program at Athletic Brewing, which is my day job, for a while now, but we've never met. And you've got a cool story, and I know a little bit about it. I'm going to learn a lot more today, but... Max Svedevitt, I think I got it right. Welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Where are you coming from today? And is that home for you? Right now, I'm in Washington, D.C., in the suburbs, trying to watch as President Trump is getting indicted or trying not to watch. We're sort of in the middle of the political circus. And what is to you cutting cutting edge breaking news to us is traffic congestion.
0: (laughs) Your accent is that from D.C. Where's that from?
1: I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia. Back then, known as Leningrad. Then I ended up in D.C. by way of uh, Minnesota and Pittsburgh.
0: Okay, that's. Uh, I live near St. Petersburg, Florida. Very different St. Pete, I think. Different weather. Very different St. So, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, tell me a little bit about D.C. I mean, I, I've only I've been a handful of times, and it's always. You know, I'm I'm doing the tourist things. I'm doing. I'm going to my favorite thing is the Smithsonian museums. I love it. But for y'all, you know, big big world changing
1: news is just another day, right? Is that what it's like? You know, we do a little bit of local celebrity spots, and centers are usually interesting to see. My best one was uh, running into Michelle Obama at Target. She was wearing sweatpants. Was with uh, three female Secret Service agents also wearing sweatpants, we were buying like stuff for pic- for a picnic. And uh, yeah, that's just nor- normal d- normal, day in DC.
0: Anything else that's, you? before we jump into your story, I just, uh, I love hearing about where folks live and anything else you've had to got, get used to living in DC or has it been, you know, pretty good? I've enjoyed every time I've visited.
1: So the best things about DC are actually, uh, you know, normal visitors to DC would probably not see. And that is the fact that in, in DC, You can get into an amazing outdoor adventure just literally stepping out of your house. Right now, I can leave my apartment, uh, walk 15 minutes to Trader Joe's, dug behind the grocery store, pick up a trailhead that follows a little creek, and I'm on a 15-mile hike that gets deeper and deeper into the woods and eventually tracks some of the Potomac River. That hike includes climbing down two different waterfalls, some of the places you don't even believe you are in the middle of a dense urban urban area. You get off the trail at any point, you can, you, you call an Uber. Fifteen minutes later, you're home.
0: <laughs> we all need those spaces really close to home that you can just escape to on a moment's notice. I've got a park near my house like that, and it's not you know the Grand Canyon or Mount Rainier or the Rockies, but it's it's just enough to reset and to get out into and it is nature it really is nature so that is cool that you know i've heard that about dc and i've I've experienced it a little bit biking through but not not to the level that you would know you know little things that you pick up on and and, and kind of places in between that you can learn about that's that's amazing
1: yeah i discovered most of this uh during the pandemic we were locked down and uh, what i found is even when they were checking cars and not letting people drive around. They would not check bicycles. So after being stuck at home for a while, my son and I would grab bikes and go. So in process, we discovered all the local trails, little hiking spots, the waterfalls. We discovered this uh, one place we could go swim when all the swimming pools were closed. All illegal. Nobody cared. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, one day during lockdown, where things were really, really scary. We found ourselves, we were in D.C., cycling down National Mall. There was not a single car going down Constitution Avenue. So we get on our bikes in the middle of Constitution Avenue, and we are just riding. And I'm, I'm telling my son, hey, check this out. From any corner, we're going to see hordes of zombies. And my son looks at me and says... Dad, you don't understand. Look at all of the other people in the street. We are the zombies. They're afraid of us.
0: <laughs> that is that is something that's not going to happen. Maybe ever again, yeah. which is pretty crazy.
1: <laughs> the lockdown gave me a license to get out of my sort of typical office life. I have to say first first three months of the pandemic, I had a lot of fun not something you would hear from other people, but it's really, it knocked me out of my everyday life, gave me a license to go and check things out that I otherwise would not have.
0: What was your lifestyle before the pandemic? Because, you know, in the last few years, a lot of the stories we've had on this show have been started because of the pandemic. And before that, it was like, a lot of the stories we featured had been somewhat, effect- you know, been in part, due to the economic crash of like 2008. Before that, it was like, you know, 9-11. It almost, I'm not saying you need those things to happen, but it it almost, those things happen to society and to an area. There's these huge changes and people take advantage of the opportunity to do something they wouldn't have been able to do before. Sounds like the pandemic was that for you. What was your life like before that? What were you doing? What what did you, did you feel like you needed to change?
1: So my, my life really had a big turn right around where I turned 40, so that was 2015, right before, uh, well, right before, five years before the pandemic. What was happening with me at that point is I was training hard. I had uh, two full Ironmans on my schedule for 2020 that I paid for and uh, was training for. You've done an Ironman, I I suspect, right? I've got a hat Um, on
0: right here. Um, yeah, you can't see exactly, it, but I, I wore exactly. this just for you today. I knew I was going to be there. <laughs> this is Athletic Brewings. Yes. Uh, this is a half yeah. Ironman yeah. hat, technically. So yeah. I've never done yeah. a full Ironman, just a half.
1: Yeah, but but you know what it's like to train for yes. one of those. Yeah, it's, it's it's like um, a
0: full-time job par-
1: almost, you yeah, know. Exactly. Well, mine was you know, a uh, part-time.
0: Yours was a full-time.
1: Yeah, you, you sort of descend down a rabbit hole of training where it sucks up a lot of oxygen from your life. <laughs> yes I was working uh, full-time I had an office so I'm actually an entrepreneur I have a small company so we had a we had an office and a couple of people were coming to that office every day to work so I had a commute I would do the commute on the bike as much as I could but uh, weather permitting but you know it was still a commute so I was so uh, I in the morning I go to the office I come back from the office I eat I go work out and that was basically Every day of my life before the pandemic. My son is on the swim team, so uh, there was also shuttling him to and from the swimming pool four times a week. Very regimented, scheduled. My life was basically defined by my Google calendar, by my training, by my training peaks. So for those who don't know, that's the software used to, to plan Ironman training. That was basically the entirety of my life immediately before the pandemic. Well, when the pandemic hits, the first thing that kicks into my brain is, okay, um, I'm going to have full on prepper mentality. My apartment will be, will become a submarine. I go and I buy 200,000 calories worth of uh, non-perishable food and store it in the storage, in, a, in storage. I'm still eating so, through some of that stash. Then I spend the first week basically expecting the zombie apocalypse to start immediately. And then it sort of fails to start, and it was really anticlimactic. I was, I was almost hoping for you know it would be interesting. So the zombie apocalypse fails to start, and people are having some people are having a really hard time. Other people are just sort of locked down and sort of throwing themselves at the walls. And I realized I don't want to be one of those people throwing themselves at the wall. We started using every opportunity to get outside. That turned into. Daily biking, hiking outings. It was mostly just me and my son. It was amazing because we also had a chance to bond in ways that fathers and sons don't often get get a chance to bond. We worked together more or less full time for eighteen months through the pandemic. So, so that changed my relationship with him. You know, rising teenagers. So, those of you that have teenagers, you you can appreciate when when a teen actually comes up and says dad I love you and you're my best friend that's the best thing I could I, I get to hear all day
0: yeah I've got toddlers no teenagers yet few more years
1: yeah you'll you'll get there but if I may give you one bit of advice uh when they start getting closer to teenage years let's say like 10 11 12 start purposefully investing time into things you can do together when they're adults so for for my son and I that was scuba diving so I, I taught him to scuba dive, got him certified, and this is something we hopefully will be able to do, you know, when I'm 70 or whatever, up, up until I'm physically unable to do this. Purposeful in this investment on my, on my part and, you know, all of the time, just putting, putting in time and intention towards building that relationship, your kid as a future adult.
0: You know, y'all are getting more active together during the pandemic and, and was it, when did your mind start going to these things that I can do? Because it, it feels like it, it, you had done, or you were getting ready to do an Ironman and, and it just kept going. What was kind of the thought process of, of the, your physical health and challenge of, of uh,
1: growing that? Ironman training is very regimented. So all of that blew up and it blew up more or less instantly. Because the gym was closed, the pool was closed, no way to do some types of training. We ended up, I ended up building a gym on my balcony that had improvised some improvised tools. There was a run on free weights. You could not buy a dumbbell anywhere. Everybody bought up every dumbbell available that was, I think, more than five pounds in weight. Nobody, nobody wanted the little ones. I, I built my own barbell out of PVC pipes and uh, filled the sand. I built an absolutely evil planking machine that uh, challenges my core muscles in evil, painful ways and just stuff stuff like this. Uh, um, But at the same time, my races are gone. What do I do with all that fitness, you know, other than just fill up my time with working out? So I started thinking about bigger adventures. My first one was completely illegal. Rather crazy, but I pulled it off. Did you say illegal? Yeah. Oh, yep. Please um, please tell us. <laughs> my adopted sister, you know, I say adopted sister because we adopted each other as adults. And now we call each other brother and sister and we love each other dearly. She was a pulmonary nurse in New York. so She really saw, uh, saw the brunt of the pandemic. She was one of the first people to get COVID in New York and she had it really bad. She was an oxygen. Assessor. And after she recovered, I realized I really want to see her. So I went on my usual Amtrak.com and I said, okay, can I buy a ticket to see her? And no, I could not buy a ticket to see her because uh, at the time it was essential travel only. New York is still a huge hotspot. So I said, okay, can I buy a bus ticket to see her? No, you can't. You know, normal person would, I don't know, maybe get a car and drive I said, you know what? I'm going to ride my bike. So, so I so I took my uh, and not only I'm not only I'm going to ride my bike to New York, but hotels are problematic. So I'm going to ride my bike from D.C. to New York in one day.
0: Jeez, how far is that? I'm looking up up on the map right now. How far did you have to go? 238 miles in one day.
1: Yes. What <laughs> did you do it? Yeah, I did it. How long did that take? Well, 17 and a half hours in the saddle oh my God that's
0: a that's a good clip how fast I mean what's your like average speed and all that I mean
1: 14 miles an hour right right around 14 miles an hour average
0: oh my gosh i I didn't know you did that that's crazy let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode.
1: Yeah. And it's not an organized race, not an organized event. It's just that one day I, my wife dropped me off at the Linton Memorial, uh, at five o'clock in the morning on the dot. I took a selfie with the Linton Memorial, uh, noted the time and started writing. I was trying to have some support uh, supporters meet me in the middle. That did not work out. Uh, so I had absolutely nothing on me except my bike clothes. It was, I went super minimalist. At my bike clothes, I had a pocket full of snacks uh, and a credit card. And I figured anything else I can find along the way. I broke it into approximately 40-mile chunks because 40 miles on the bike is something I can, you know, this is what I call my average Tuesday. Like If I go out for a ride, it's 30, 40 miles. Five or six average Tuesdays. How bad could it be? How bad was
0: it? I mean, how did you feel?
1: Let's see, the first couple segments felt amazing. I was already out of the D.C. metro area, riding through some beautiful uh, Maryland countryside. It got hot, so I had to stop multiple times to just pour water on myself. In Delaware, really hot, and uh, the way I mapped out the roads, I I was running into a lot of traffic, so that was unpleasant. Then, uh, let's see, Pennsylvania was fine. Yeah, and then there was New Jersey. I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to reserve comments because you have listeners from New Jersey. Yeah,
0: we do. <laughs> I've gotten in trouble about making fun of certain regions of the country. Even if I'm kidding, yeah, I, I've learned not to do that.
1: Yeah, no, there are beautiful parts of New Jersey. Right. It's just that the parts I went through were not. Yeah, the last bit was, that was the most unpleasant, I'd say, but I had to do it. So sort of the industrial... Outskirts, you know, with oil refineries spewing fire and stuff like this. Cause I needed to get to the Staten Island ferry and just trying to navigate uh, pathways that go from New Jersey to the Staten Island through sort of industrial harbor wasteland. That was, and, and also in the dark because it started getting dark by then. That was, that was rather unpleasant. I would probably not be repeating that portion of the ride. I, I needed to get there because. I was uh, tied to the schedule of Staten Island ferry that was going to run until eleven thirty uh so it w- uh the ferry did not run twenty four seven as it does outside of the pandemic times. If I did not make the eleven thirty ferry uh I'd be stuck there until six o'clock in the morning and I did not want to be stuck in Staten island until six o'clock in the morning so well either either that or I'd have to ride through bayonne and uh jersey city and that would add another 20 miles
0: and on, and on the bike that's uh, gosh adding 20 miles
1: is terrible yeah so i needed to make the ferry i made the ferry i wanted to finish at uh, the 9-11 memorial just sort of the symbolic memorial to memorial thing and that was i got there right around midnight and uh, my sister and her wife were there to meet me and it was awesome
0: I mean, doing something like that will make you really feel like I can do hard things. I can, I can take on other challenges. Were you kind of done or were you wanting to do more at that point? Because that, I could see that, you know, your mind starting to turn. What else can I do?
1: Exactly. Where my mind goes is kind of the idea of traverse. And this is my favorite kind of an adventure where I go point to point. What else can I do? Can I take a train somewhere way out of the way and ride my bike back and find my way home somehow can i i don't know uh go across america i'm i don't think i'm quite ready for doing uh 3, 000 miles across america i
0: don't know you rode 250 in a day that's pretty good well
1: i started looking for, for more narrow spots yeah you know there's a few places where america is a little bit narrower right right yeah so i'm 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 working on that there is a really nice route pacific to atlantic where you cross from on um, chile to argentina and you end in buenos aires i was kind of thinking along the lines of leave um, on christmas from chile and do new years in argentina but that is Really, really tight scheduling. I'm realizing I probably don't want to schedule myself that
0: night. When did the idea to do the uh, Camino de Santiago come into play? Because it, soo- it sounds like you're having a pretty big year of adventure, and this was just one of, of a few of your adventures.
1: Yeah, so if actually the idea uh, came to me uh, in Mexico. Uh, so I was running the Caballo Blanco Marathon. Um, so if, if you don't know that one, it's the race featured in the book Born to Run. If you have read the book and then you show up at the marathon and you realize that the characters from that book are still around, they're real life people and you can have, go have a beer with them. The book was completely accurate in describing some of them. So that that blew my mind in itself. Uh, just meeting up is also Running Legends. Europe was there. Uh, Manuel Luna. Manuel Luna is amazing. It's, he's a... a Taro Mara Indian and uh, one of the first people to let's, let's see, he won Western States, he was he won Leadville, he he won he won some of the biggest ultra-marathon races and put the Taro Mara runners on the map as as a very formidable force in, in ultra running. So just hanging out with those people at the campfire and uh, drinking beers and talking about running and adventure and all of that So That that was part of that. But the other part of that was uh, a Temescal ceremony. So a Temescal is when when you roll into this low dome and uh, hot rocks are being brought in uh, by the shaman, Uh, there is chanting and and, uh, you set your intention for what you want that session to be. It's really physically hard in terms of the amount of steam and the amount of heat you need to tolerate but also it's, it's, it's a spiritual journey that's condensed in about 40 minutes. I had a pretty profound uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual effects from it. I, I can go into more detail if you like, uh, but part of that was I wished for spiritual rebirth. And what I got from it was a spiritual near-death experience. When I came out, the shaman said, uh, your rebirth is not complete. You need to you need to go do a journey. You, you need to find your road, you need to find a journey. And uh, this ultra marathon you're about to do, that's not enough. You need you need to find a place to find peace with yourself. So I started thinking about spiritual journeys and I read uh, Paulo Coelho the pilgrim. I thought about you know what 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 else should I do but the strange road to Santiago. So yeah, so I I Bought the ticket to Spain, planned it out, and there I was with my bike, ready to go.
0: What was that experience like? Because most people, most people hike that or walk that. We've had people on the show talking about that, but you decided to to bike it. One, maybe to just you just enjoyed that. Maybe it was the time, but but tell us maybe about some of the differences that you were anticipating with with being on the bike versus what a lot of people do, which is
1: walking it. I have to say that I got the lesson from the Camino that I should have gotten. One of the reasons I showed up in the bike is I only had six days. Most people, when they come and do Caminos, they take six weeks. I had the choice. The the reason I only had six days was because my son was going to fly and and meet me in Madrid, and I needed to be at the airport to meet him. This logistical constraint, I said... I, what I should have said is, okay, let me see how much I can walk in six days. But no, I have an ambitious mind that likes enormous adventures. <laughs> so I said, I have six days. How hard could it be to do 600 kilometers?
0: You've already done You've already done 250 miles in one day, which is what, 400 kilometers nearly? So
1: it's like, you did that in one day. You got six. Exa- exactly. How hard could it possibly be? <laughs> yeah, right. Sometimes you tend to approach those kind of big adventures as a as a race. I don't know if it's uniquely American, but it is very American because we have this culture of achievement. It's, you know, we have to go and do this thing. You know, you go do the Iron Man. There is you you try to do it as fast as you can, and there is a finish line, and then somebody yells in the microphone, "Hey, you are an Iron Man!" and everybody goes, "Yay!" You have achieved it. We have this obsession, this standardized metrics of achievement. Like, what's you know, what's your marathon time? Well, every marathon is different, right? I mean, it could be three hour marathoner in one place and four hour marathoner in another place. Depends on what the race is like. But the problem, the biggest problem for me was when I achieved something, something big, I immediately started thinking, what's next? You know, you wake up the morning after finishing an Ironman, and the first site you open on on your phone is ironman.com and you say where next what are you what are you going to race next so on uh, what happened with me is that as i got at least somewhat better at racing i started thinking what else is out there you know why is it why am i not feeling fulfilled or satisfied you know i even posted on facebook like iron man is too easy why why is it? why is iron man so easy I got yelled at horribly. It was,
0: and what did you mean by that? Just
1: uh, too achievable, maybe? What it was for me uh, is it was not a hard day. It was a long day, and uh, you know I can do a long day. I can do a long day any day. Now uh, I mean Ironman kicked my ass this year, so no, it's not too easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I didn't. I didn't have this year. I got. I got way too ambitious, and un- underplanned and underprepared, and. Uh, yeah uh, I have a big chip on my shoulder so I'm gonna to have to remedy that. Coming back to the Camino, when I initially approached it, I started I started looking for an achievement. you know what that's what I' that's what I've gotten used to you know you look for an achievement. So I went to the FKT site, figured out what the F- fastest known time for Camino Santiago is. I started mapping and making plans based on whether or not I can hit the FKT or get close to it. it, is the Camino precisely the wrong approach? And I designed all of my logistics based on this wrong approach. And the Camino told me, within two hours, the Camino told me, you're wrong. Don't do this. Why? Okay. So, and by the way, I I will talk about the Camino as almost as like a person, because the Camino for me, it's, Became a representation of humanity, or of reality. The Camino teaches you things. Uh, the Camino compresses things into sort of a very teachable situation. And if you are there with an open mind and willing to learn, it will teach you. Yeah. So, so what? So here's what I did. I showed up at the Camino. This legit. I call it non-negotiable. I had to be in Santiago by Sunday at four p.m. Uh, Because I needed to catch the 4 30 train to get me to Madrid, uh, because my son was landing at 6 p.m. the next day, uh, 6 a.m. the next day uh, at the airport, and I had to be there to meet him. Almost immediately, I set myself a hard cutoff, I set myself a deadline, and immediately it started causing me anxiety, even before I started. But, you know, I am uh, stubborn and resourceful. and and being stubborn and resourceful is usually my detriment when the universe is telling me to stop i just double down and say hey you know i'll i'll make it but by the way you you know you the universe screw you i'm gonna get this done anyway so i get to where's my starting point for the camino i put together my bike and i start riding and it's a magical ride between the nature just sort of crunch of gravel under my wheels, all of the views, uh, the air. It smells different. Spain smells different than the United States or actually than any other place I've been. Fields of red flowers, uh, fields of uh, fields of sunflowers, just in- incredible beauty, color, smell, air. My first hour on the trail, I say I do not want this to end. Why am I rushing it so fast? Why am I going so fast? And I remind myself that I'm going so fast because I have a goal, because I need to get to a certain place by a certain time. The back of my brain says, no, stop it. Stop it. You're killing yourself. Don't do this. Think about an hour later, climbing a hill. And on top of this hill, I see a van. In this van, there is a beautiful woman just sitting in a lawn chair with her dog. And she calls me over and says, invites me for a glass of water and a cookie. And she's one of the trail angels on the Camino. Her name is Maria and she lives in the van. She is there or she was there up until about last week, basically be there with the travelers and to talk to them about their emotions and what they feel like. She's, uh, she's a psychotherapist sold for practice and, uh, retired to be a full-time trail angel right after the pandemic. So she gives out cookies and free psychotherapy and, uh, she sells, um, little trinkets that you can wear while you're hiking. And that's how she supports herself. So, so yeah, so Maria and I spent two hours talking. She basically makes me question my entire motivation for the trip. Why am I there doing it as an achievement? If I'm, if I should be there doing it as a journey and why do we focus so much on, on sort of the culture of achievement, the culture of doing if, all we need in this life is to be. Yeah. So we so we spend all of this time talking, and, and the next day I get on my bike and I look at my schedule and it says 140 miles. Go, go, go. So yeah, the way I wrote my schedule is uh, days where those were flatter, I would put more miles. So 140 miles, get going. You know that achievement brain kicks right back in, and I get on my bike and I get going. It's a hard habit to break, admittedly. It's a hard habit to break. So, so when I say the Camino teaches you to not do certain things, well, what happens was well, what happens first during this 140 miles, I bonk, I miss, I miss a chance to eat, uh, run out of energy, I'm dehydrated, I bonk, I'm feeling absolutely terrible. So I take a train for last 20 miles. I realized I would not make it uh, to. I needed to make it to Leon. I realized I'm not making a Tuleon before dark. So I take a trade for last one month. The Camino tells me next morning that I should not be doing this again. And the way it tells me is that I have two flat tires. I, I come to my bike, there's two flat tires. Two, two flat tires?
0: So both tires? Or just they happened at different times of the day?
1: No, both tires. What happened was, you know, I, I sort of worked it out later. Is I showed up, I have a very light bike, so it was set up as light cyclocross tires. And I put such a beating with them uh, into, into them on uh, 140 miles of gravel or 120. You know, basically I beat up my tires to help. So I had to wait in, until the morning, until the bike shops opened up. That lost me a couple hours of daylight. So that day I only got 60 miles in as opposed to over 100 that I wanted to. So I get to a town called Astorga. I have two more flat tires. This is really, you know, sinking it in. Okay, you are not going to race this thing. So the road is telling me, stop racing. Slow down. This is a journey. This is not a race. Stop racing. And uh, yeah, so I stopped racing. I found some spares. Uh, Again, cost me a few hours. I caught a bus to fast forward a little bit so uh, to remove my anxiety of not being able to finish in time. And I stopped racing. And it was the most magical two and a half days of, my, of uh, this journey. Because when you slow down, you see things, you hear things, you smell, you feel, you talk to people. I met, I met a dude. One day, he just walked out of his house in Belgium. He just went and walked to Santiago. So I met him on his last day of this three and a half months walk. The stories he had to share about the kindness of strangers and just living and sleeping in people's houses or sleeping in the field. People he met along the way, incredible stories.
0: Was there a moment that, that you, maybe it was that, after you slowed down, you realized that was the right decision? You know, you had an experience or a moment that you wouldn't have had otherwise, that you were like,
1: this is why I had to slow down. Actually, so my last night on the trail... There was a little hostel that I stayed in. It had a river running by it. We were just sitting there with people. So people I met the day before, they caught up with me. They were on foot. I was on the bike, but they were walking big miles. So they, I only cycled until mid-afternoon. And they caught up with me by about seven or eight at night. And we were sitting on the side of this river, dangling our feet into water, drinking a beer, talking about how, how this whole thing is making us feel. And I realized that actually the best part that I experienced was the fact that there is a community and this community this connection is it's instant because everybody has everybody is walking in the same direction on, on the Camino everyone is walking and everybody or, or riding in the same direction going, going towards the same goal everybody has different reasons to do that but at the end they still have to do one thing put one foot and drunk the other and that becomes just such a microcosm for life, for approaching the, the philosophy of this whole thing. You know, what is our life but not having a common goal and putting one foot in front of the other? It, w- it was just not, not even feeling of accomplishment. I was, I'm not even talking about accomplishment here. I was, I'm really talking about the process. So if, you want, if I want to zero in on this, it becomes, it becomes a shift from being results-oriented people-oriented, to being process-oriented. You know, if I, if I have to carry out one thing from this whole thing, is this shift to process orientation in my entire life and in adventures and in, uh, in in everything really.
0: What does that look like outside of the Camino? What What's basically like about, the, it's about the journey, it's not about that destination or that... I was actually just listening
1: on your podcast about micro-adventures.
0: Yeah, maybe Alistair Humphreys? Exactly,
1: exactly, Alistair Humphreys. That ended up really resonated with me because so far, everything I've, not everything I've done, but almost everything has either been, hey, I'm doing something huge or hey, I'm training to do something huge. So I started arriving towards this mind mindset shift towards micro-adventures. The Alison Humphrey podcast, that really confirmed it for me that I can find this mindset. I don't have to be out in the middle of anywhere, uh, doing doing an enormous adventure to find it. I can just go ride, ride my bike half an hour, you know, or go find that trailhead behind uh, behind the grocery store and I can be right there. And,
0: and I would even say it's smaller than that. You can, you can get to the point you can look out a window and like tap into that feeling or, or just stand out on your balcony and just, I think I hear birds in the background right where you are. And it's just, it's all around us all the time. It doesn't have to be a six-day trip or an Ironman or, you know, a massive adventure. Because those times are amazing, and we hear a lot of stories of those times. But take it from someone like Alistair. He, he, he is a great example. He lived for four years on his bike traveling the world. He's not doing that now. He has kids. He has responsibilities. He's, 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 he does one-day trips or a weekend trip or an afternoon and for someone like him, that's enough. And he says that. That's that's why he launched this whole idea of micro adventures. So that's the world. That's the lifestyle I'm in right now. My trips are very short, but it can happen a lot more frequently. You know what I mean? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's a it's a question of accessibility, right? Uh, not every not everybody can go and buy a thousand dollar plane ticket and fly their bike to Spain, and not ev- not everybody can pull this off. But uh, everybody can grab their bike and just go find a trail. Really, the, I think I think it's also finding, uh, finding that place of serenity on the inside. That is probably the hardest lesson from from this whole thing because once you start shifting away from the achievement, actually the world kind of pushes back at you. Our world is centered on on this sort of thing. And like, you know, I meet my friends and they they say, so how did your Iron Man go? Uh, Where's the next one? You know, what kind of crazy thing are you doing next? What's next? Yeah, what's what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? That is actually pervasive in our everyday life. It's, you know, what's what's next? You oh, you got a great job. But what's next? Are you gonna buy a big house? Are you buying a Tesla? What are you gonna do with all that money? Uh and of course, once you make that, it becomes not enough. So you now need to get it, you need, you now need to get a bigger job to to pay for a bigger house. And it just gets into this. The psychologists call it the hedonic treadmill where you're running harder and harder, but you're not getting any happier.
0: You very quickly return to your base level of happiness after the injection of something new, whether it's stuff or... I'm seeing the process through this multi-year flip on my house of fixing it up. I'll get something done like the windows or the driveway. And I'm like, this is so wonderful. And within about two weeks, it, it it dies off and it's right back to that level of like all right what's next i need to work on your your, your base level of happiness you can keep you know, there's a certain part of that that's just human nature and it's it's good to want to progress but it can very easily spiral very easily and for a lot of us it's 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 an unhealthy an unhealthy level we need new things we need new we need to spend money on things that aren't necessarily that important we need to just make more money for the sake of making more money but you know if you're Funding an orphanage, if you're adopting, if you're doing something really important to you with that money, and for those reasons, yeah, absolutely. But that hedonic treadmill, we all need to really analyze and make sure we're not getting caught up with that for the wrong reasons.
1: This is something uh, I'm uh, wrestling with, uh, trying to figure out uh, where do I sit on this because the other side is well a few. You- don't. What do you have to show for all your effort? You know, you, you don't bring home a shiny medal from, yeah. I mean, I brought home absolutely nothing from Camino de Santiago except uh, one little pendant that Maria made for me with her hands. And that's just something to sort of keep a memory of that friendship. It's become more for me about stripping away layers of lying to myself for you where we'll light ourselves to uh, say, hey, you know, doing this will make you happy. I mean, doing an Ironman will make you fit. I don't know if it's going to make you happy. But, you know, buying a new bike will make you happy for a little bit. Then you're going to want to buy another bike. It's always N plus one, right? What do you think
0: about, because we were talking about this earlier, fastest known times. I, I, I go back and forth in that world of, I am not a fast person outside and in fact the pace that you describe your San Diego trip is the pace that I like to saunter. I like to explore. I like to sit and talk if there's an interesting person at a coffee shop or just that I meet. I am going to do that. But I don't feel like there's that many people that that do that or relate to that. It is the fastest how fast can you go through this place? How quickly can you cross the Grand Canyon? I don't know. I'm constantly fighting finding myself fighting that urge as well, because it does get attention and people seem to praise it. It sounds like you've maybe rethought that as well, that whole culture. It, that hedonic treadmill seems to bleed into what we are adventure in in outdoor and nature world
1: exactly exactly. And that so that's something I'm wrestling with because of course i'm all I'm already signed up for another Iron Man because you know, you do not stop this kind of thing. Trying to qualify for Team USA to uh, to go to Australia next year. That's going to be interesting. The qualifier is in December, so I actually need to go in and race properly. But at the same time, my my mind is telling me that what makes me happy is this. You know, precisely the soundtrack. If I'm on my bike, I want to be able to stop at ca- at uh, cafes every few miles and have an espresso and talk to a person and look around and smell things, you know, and stop or admire the view somewhere. A big part of me does not want to race. Probably one of the reasons I'm not signing up for any more road marathons, except New York Marathon. New York Marathon is marvelous sightseeing. But outside of that, no more road marathons for me. What do you think
0: this change of mindset on the Santiago, what do you think the lasting effect will be? And what would you... Try to tell others about the experience, having changed so drastically before and after.
1: I would tell people to pay more attention to how their minds and souls are feeling. If something is not, is making them unhappy, doing more of it is not going to make them any happier. Just just pay pay attention to this uh, hedonic treadmill, where you're always compelled to do more. I am grateful to triathlon and Iron Man. Because it got me from a very bad place in my life where I was very unhealthy, uh, both mentally and physically, uh, to a place where I'm you know, in reasonably good shape. I'm grateful for that. Also thinking about how competition can sometimes inject unhealthy notes into, into our minds.
0: A lot of times people... Wrongly assume that physical health is the same as character health, and you know they they focus a lot on that physical side without really realizing how maybe bitter or too competitive or just you know unpleasant it's making them as a person. So I you know it's interesting. That's an interesting thought.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, I don't to be honest I don't have any advice because it's a dilemma. I'm wrestling with myself. And the dilemma is to to boil it down is going to be to be or to do, right? So, so are you in some place to do something? Are you there to complete an event, or are you there to be and to make that part of you? You can even approach an Ironman this the to be mentality. Maybe even finish it with a to be mentality as opposed to to do mentality. Probably not win it. Is you, winning an iron manager goal, or are you trying to win it? If not, maybe maybe approach it with the 2B mentality and just be there to sort of absorb the, the race day and, and enjoy the process.
0: We all need to decide where we... And, and every moment's going to be different. Every challenge is going to be different. So, you know, I know we just talked about this, but what is what is next for you? Where do you want to take this, if anywhere yeah. at all? Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. so so yeah so of, co- of course i have my full racing schedule no, no not quite not quite. i am going to scotland in september and i'm doing a four-day uh multi-sport epic there is an island chain called outer hebrides basically if you go any any more west in scotland you end up in the water and you have to swim to new york so this is the westernmost part of europe of we will cross this island with a small group on bikes and kayaks, and the distance is not giant. It's about 110 miles, I think, for three days, and there is going to be some chunky hills, so you know a little bit of a little bit of climbing. When we get to uh, the end of the island, we'll put our bikes on a ferry, and while the ferry is crossing, we'll cross uh, the same channel on kayaks. We have a support vehicle that will take our gear from from place to place. It's a Full cool adventure uh, every night is going to be at a different distillery. So it's going to be also an adventure for taste buds. The best part is it finishes on my birthday at Oban Distillery. So my favorite Scotch distillery. I, I could not have done this any other way. I'm going to choose Nationals, triathlon nationals in Daytona on December, December 3rd, I think, and see if I can qualify for Australia. If that happens, so my son my son and I already talked about this, if I qualify, they're going to go to Australia, get a camper van, and just go live in the van for a month before that race, learn to surf. You know, just planting an image in my brain of living, living on the beach, in a van, and surfing every morning.
0: Sounds like a wonderful experience if you can make it happen and get there. There is a lot of ifs, but you know, if that doesn't work out that direction, I'm sure you'll find something somewhere to be, somewhere to do, you know, something to do somewhere to be. But Max, this was really interesting. This was an interesting conversation. I, I wasn't sure where we go. I love, I love diving into this side of, of adventure sometimes, you know, it's great hearing folks going for an FKT in the experience, but my personal adventures are much slower, much more in, you know, just paying attention to little details and just seeing where things lead don't necessarily know and that's that's how i like to adventure so but i'll talk about them all so thank you for sharing a part of your story and thanks for being a part of the ambassador community athletic brewing and uh yeah
1: good luck keep us posted yeah thank you for having me on the podcast first of
0: all